As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Gallant Gunter saps competitors' energy in Jakarta heat. Fairline retakes title lead with third win of 23. Dennis delights in double podium performance. And Bird swoops on teammate again in more Jag Jeopardy. All that and more in today's Formula E podcast, Jakarta Style. I'm your host, Andrew Vandenberg, standing in for Jack Nichols, who's taken a little bit of time off, but will hopefully be back with us sometime soon. And joining me as ever is the race's Formula E correspondent, Sam Smith. Sam, how are you? I'm very well. Yeah, on the way to Le Mans, so getting mentally uh, and physically prepared for that. Uh, but yeah, very much looking forward to that. But equally... How does one prepare themselves mentally and physically for the Le Mans 24 hours? In my case, it's uh, a Marmite sandwich for lunch um, and a Orange Club biscuit, which um, I think all of the athletes going to Le Mans will be on a similar strategy. Finally, I had an Orange Club biscuit uh, for 11s this day with a cup of tea. and Very nice it was too. Good job. There we go. So I guess we probably ought to talk about uh, the two doubleheader or the doubleheader race we'd had in Indonesia over the weekend. You weren't there, uh, obviously, because of uh, um, the difficulties of getting back in time to go to Le Mans. And uh, I have to say, you know, I always complain about the ability to watch it on the telly. I was in Barcelona for the Grand Prix and on the Channel 4 player using a VPN, but we're not sponsored by one, so I'm not going to say which. Um, it was a it was a breeze. So m- much easier than actually watching it on TV when I'm at home. <laughs> yeah, makes all the difference, doesn't it? Um, I, I think in terms of the, 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 the TV coverage, um, looking at, at Jakarta, I thought it was pretty good, actually. Um, everything seemed to be bang on in terms of the, the replays, and we didn't miss that much was reduced uh, overtaking, which I'm sure we'll come on to anyway shortly. But yeah, I thought it was a, a good watch from afar. So as referenced in the opening bit there, um, we saw the first win of the season for Max Gunter. In fact, his last win came back in season seven uh, when he won the opening race weekend at, at New York. It's It's been a long old wait. So uh, how did he return to the winner's circle? Well, he did it in style, didn't he? I mean, every session that he took part in, he 
topped. I mean, that has is, that been that, done before? No, it I, hasn't. I, I, no, no that's absolutely hasn't. So it's a, a remarkable achievement. They obviously found something with that that Maserati Tipo Folgari. I mean, it was just absolutely dialed in um i've done a little bit of asking around as to to where that advantage uh, probably came from and and i think ultimately a good chunk of that was probably how max and the maserati msg team really treated the tires i think what was crucial was particularly in qualifying the preparation lap was a key and i think if you're talking marginal differences how you treat tires on a red hot surface i think max just had that little bit of something that was able to open up his car more and, and to get it uh, to get it performing, on, particularly on traction. So we know the Hankooks are super durable, let's say. Um, we know they're hard in terms of getting in the right window. And I think the fact that, that they've done their homework and they hit the ground running, which let's not forget Maserati have had a whole suite of issues this season, with losing time in free practice sessions and being on the back foot going into races, I think that just all came together and and Max just dominated. It was, yeah, it was it was breathtaking. I mean, it, it just seemed preordained that the fact that he was going to win. I mean, arguably, he possibly should have won the race on on Saturday yeah. as well. He could have done the whole hundred um, percent clean sweep in everything. But the fact that he converted on Sunday was was no surprise when you saw the pace that they had. Is is this a one-off or is this something that they can sustain now? It's really hard to say. I mean, Jakarta is idiosyncratic in terms of the configuration of the circuit. Um, it's one line only. I mean, we'll come on to this in a bit when we talk about the the attack mode and the the extension of the attack mode. I think, but yeah, it's it, it's a, it's a difficult circuit to overtake. So track position is everything. And the fact, even though the second race was a few laps longer, it was essentially a flat-out race. So it was one of those events where there was little lifting and coasting, little strategy, which we'd seen at Sao Paulo and Berlin and to some extent Monaco too. So it was a very different kind of race. And yeah, if you had the track position and you played your cards right with the uh, strategy on the attack mode, which was extended to to eight minutes from, from four, then you were in the box seat, and I think that was proved with Verline and and Gunter's wins respectively last weekend. We'll get on to attack mode in a little bit, but one of the things you often hear about people complaining about Formula E is about oh, the, it's not flat out racing, all the energy management. But this actually showed why you don't really want flat out racing. You know, flat out racing isn't necessarily good racing when it comes to electric motorsport. And it's just one of those ways in which you slightly have to adjust your preconceptions in order to really enjoy it fully. Yeah. And I think diversity is, you know, we've, I think myself and probably you have as well, we've kind of promoted the diversity of races, haven't we? And and the Formula E is going much more in that direction for certainly for Gen Four and probably for the second half of the the Gen Three era to have this certainly initially this different during double headers this different denomination of laps and I think that works quite well. It doesn't have to be a flat out race. It doesn't have to be um, uh, an energy an ultra energy saving race. I mean, you, you you can sort of get a happy medium to some extent. I think it's super hard to do. The FIA have their own simulation group, which does a lot of work on this. And it's it's super hard to do because even though you've got all the data and the topography and the, you know, you've got the technical attributes of the cars, there are certain 
nuances when you're at the race and things are happening um, for real. So uh, things like... Oh, for, well, it's impossible to, to simulate the effect that the heat has on the course. track surface. Yeah. Uh, and also with, you know, with the, the way the battery um, works in, in the temperatures. That, that's it, right. it, it's, yeah, you you need the you know the deeper 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 blue to even scratch the surface of that. Yeah, you do, and and you know marbles. I mean, there was only one line at Jakarta. It was it was full of dust and and bits of rubbish all over the place. So effectively, it was a bit like it was a bit like racing in a, on a drying track when you get that one line, and if you go off it, you're screwed. If you try and uh, if you try something audacious, and we saw that a number of times last weekend. So how how it's going to be addressed i think this season is going to be fascinating because london traditionally is a completely flat out race with little overtaking hence getting regular carnage and contact there so i think the fia have mm. got quite a lot to weigh up for that last weekend of the season because obviously it's going to be crucial we hope going right down to the wire so it'll be interesting to see what they do there on the length of the races plus if they keep this extension of the attack mode or if they free up the attack mode say give give everybody eight minutes and just let them do whatever they want let them do eight minutes straight off if they want or let them do four minutes or two or three or just do it in two hits give some freedom to the to the teams and the drivers i think i think a lot of them are pushing for that actually so lots been made well some things been made of this being maserati's first single seater win since the 57 german grand prix which is obviously one of the more famous ones given fangio's sensational comeback and all of that you were at that one you were you uh, there? You yeah it? one of my first ones that i covered um yeah, uh, so. back for the the oldie sniff petroleum or whatever it was um but how many single seater races have they done since then i don't i don't think that really counts i i reckon this is the the first win a uh, factory win since the that amazing mc12 uh, gt1 car that they had um which 40 wins from 94 starts sam it wasn't bad was it yeah what a great car um i saw didn't we see that at goodwood last year i think it was at the festival of speed wasn't it um yeah, yeah i mean it's great that maserati have won a race i mean it's it's a feel-good story them being in a fully-fledged international world championship um it's been a you know tumultuous start though hasn't it i mean a really difficult start i think that you know james rossiter probably feels as though he's aged uh a couple of <laughs> decades in the last six months but they I mean, it's an interesting story in a way because it was so awful i mean you know i remember it, it started really in riyadh i suppose it didn't have a strong mexico in riyadh gunter had that shunt missed the uh, first race of the weekend recovered to some extent still didn't get any points then had a chance of a genuine podium i think at uh, cape town and and crashed again um meanwhile mortara's crashing most weekends um yeah. so the damage bills ratcheting up the points aren't getting anywhere they're you know they're near, nearing the wooden spoon of the the points table from the team's perspective and then all of a sudden in berlin gunter you know gives a an overdue performance and gets a great podium and then the momentum sort of is halted slightly at monaco with more shuntage going on um and more difficulties and, and, and no no points for for gunter at least and then you get this performance which just comes out of the blue aptly for, for Maserati for the Trident so yeah great it's a really really good story and I made a point in a piece this week actually that Gunter is is one of those drivers who when he gets things together and he's in the sweet spot he's unbeatable I mean he's proved that 
again and again and again. You know, he's now won, I think that's his fourth, is it his fourth victory? I have to check, but pretty yeah, sure yeah, it's fourth, his fourth yeah. victory. You know, yeah. he, he's got, I'm pretty sure that he has got the same amount of wins as Stoffel van Dorn in Formula E, which when you think about it, is incredible, isn't it? Because yeah. Stoffel's is rightly held up there as one of the top drivers. And Gunter Sodder goes under the radar. And I'm, I'm, I think that's a legacy of the mistakes that he's made and the kind of slight lack of consistency he's had in his career. But I think if he's matured to the extent he seems to have been in the last couple of races, then I think he'll get an extension to his Maserati deal. It's only a one-year deal. And remember, the point I was going to make was that he was actually the probably the third choice for that seat because Nick De Vries was certainly the first one. And then they tapped up Alex Lynn and then he got the drive. So it could be a really great story if he kicks on and, and wins more races. And, and who knows from then on what he's able to achieve. Right, we always have trouble with the format of these uh, podcasts when there's been a doubleheader weekend, and it's very hard to find the consistent uh, narrative between them. But let's let's go back to the, to that first race. Um, it was a return of a Porsche, both factory team and uh, Andretti customer car, to really get back to the fore. Um, Verline won to reignite his title charge i think and uh dennis really solid run to second but afterwards he was absolutely incandescent with with the move that veiline put on him and at the time i i thought i must have missed something um but when we showed the replay i i couldn't really understand why he was so outraged and what, what were your feelings on it uh pretty similar tend to agree i um i didn't see it initially when you go back and you do a bit of a slow-mo on it you can see a bit of Dennis's point, but I, you know, I obviously it's a deliberate move to defend his position, but he's defending the lead of the race. I mean, what does Dennis expect him to do? Um, I think if he went back and looked at it, maybe, you know, could he have, could he have dummied and, and gone to the outside, but then you're on the outside and on all the rubbish as we alluded to before. I think it was, it was a, it was a legitimate defensive move, but it was, probably like i don't know 0.1 second slightly late but i don't think it was a real jeopardy move we've seen so many other moves well, i was gonna say in formula e this before. is far for the course we see it all the yeah. time don't we yeah, yeah. and, and mul- from multiple drivers verline has been guilty of making some poor judgments before particularly one in marrakesh last year on on evans which left evans evans seething um but i don't see this in the same bracket at all i think it was a a legitimate defense for the uh to defend the lead um i can understand why jake dennis was a bit fed up with it but to actually you know to sort of dig in and and um express his viewpoints pretty forcibly afterwards i thought was a bit a bit over the top, but maybe some interesting psychology. Who knows? You know, maybe Dennis mm. knows that Verline is his main title uh, counterpart contender, and maybe he's um, he's been clever. But I think it was just too raw after the race. I don't think he thought about it. I think it was just a um, a genuine natural reaction uh, after a race. He he maybe looks back at it now and, and has a slightly different viewpoint. Who knows? But uh, interesting that interesting one to watch those two because. Uh, you know, I'd, I've never really felt any antipathy between them particularly, and I don't think there is, but obviously in the white heat of a t- title battle, um, those, uh, you know, those things can change pretty quickly. Yeah, and, and yeah, a solid weekend from Dennis and really right back in the title hunt, but he hasn't won a race since Mexico. Do you think that's going to start to rankle him? 
Yeah, I think in a in a competitive sense it will. Um he certainly probably deserved to to get an extra to get a second victory under his belt for for himself and Avalanche Andretti. I thought they they were terrific in Jakarta. Uh, he's been terrific actually since um since Berlin. He made that mistake in the first one at Berlin and speared off and then he got that podium in the second race. This is his fourth podium on the trot and um you know when when you look at Dennis's season it's it's remarkable actually because what you've got there is if you look at his results, he's he's only finished first, second, and third. But yeah, it's he's, podium or nothing, basically. Yes, yeah, he's done that <laughs> six times. Uh, no, sorry, seven times. He's done that. So he's got he's got a win. He's got four, one, two, three, four, five second places, and a third place, and nothing else. So it's uh, yeah, it's all or nothing. But it's go um, big or go home. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I tell you what, the interesting thing for me is that in his form and with the package he's got and the fact that he is so good at XL Arena, you would, you know, if you were just sitting back and looking at it, you say Jake Dennis is a favourite for the title right now. He's been pretty much unbeatable at, at XL, London XL. Yeah, mm. Okay, he was he was beaten by, by Lucas Degrassi last season, but, you know, he, in qualifying and the race, he's got something that, admittedly, it's in the Gen 2 car. Gen 3 might be a different different proposition. But I've got a feeling that he's just got he's just got a little flow or just a little affinity with that place. And even if that's a tiny thing, you know, if he's going head-to-head with Verline or Cassidy or, or Evans for the title, and I think now we're probably looking at those four as a, you know, this kind of gang of four at the front for the title, then... I, I think Dennis is psychologically and actually physically in in the box seat. Um, but of course, we've got Portland and Rome to go before that, and it could all change. But if it is as close as it is at the minute going into London, then uh, yeah, I think the um, the old psychological element of Dennis being a bit feisty, as he showed at uh, at Jakarta, and the fact that he's so good there will 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 be a major advantage for him. Now you mentioned Cassidy there; he was. The biggest loser in in a title battle from from the weekend in a in a really uncassidy way because the the thing that had really been the highlight of his season so far was that he sort of been a little bit anonymous but incredibly consistent and capitalized and basically took every point that was there on offer and then when they became big wins all of a sudden he was he's there up and leading the championship but you know really his the main fault over the weekend was was his own you know that especially that movie made on Verline was a bit of poor judgment from him do you think he was feeling a bit of the championship pressure creeping up on him well, I, I, it seemed very unlike him it did uh he threatened to do it the day before when he made that move on Vern and went sideways at turn one and was looking yes. to get away with that so there was kind yeah. of a bit of a warning there wasn't there that he, these sort of moves I think to win a title, you've got to realise when you can't get a podium. I mean, Mitch Evans does that. Um, I think Verline has done that this season. Dennis certainly has. Cassidy, this you know, it, this weekend just he he chucked away points, not massive, massive points. So it softens the blow a little bit. But yeah, he didn't need to make that move, and it was such a half baked 
attempt, wasn't it? And he knows that, you know, he, 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 I, I spoke to him after the race and, um, and he admitted that and he said he's better than that. And we all know he is. Yeah. Um, but, but these things are crucial. It reminded me a bit of Mortara last season in London when he's right in the title hunt and then he just gets caught up in these silly accidents which is all very easy for us to say, oh, you know, and in, in the you know in the full force of the the first few laps, or when the you know when you're challenging for positions, the instincts kick in. But you've got to realise when to back out of a of a fight you're not going to win, and that was that was clear as day that he was never going to make a move stick there on Verline. And um, yeah, and he's 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 paid the price. I mean, he's lost some points there. He's lost the championship lead. Uh, unfortunate, but. On the on the one hand, he you know he he probably go into Portland and, um, and and learn from it. Although you can't overcompensate for it at the same time, you've got to have that balance of fighting for positions and getting the points, but not endangering a, a DNF. And um, and that's effectively what he had uh, last weekend, last Sunday. Yeah, talking about a championship in this beautifully poised. Uh, Verline's retaken the championship lead. He's got 134 points. Dennis just one point behind. And then Cassidy's only six back from Verline, which is basically nothing. Bit of a gap further back, 19 points back then to Evans. Are we ruling out anyone past that? If not, Jeff, he's he's knocking on 40 points behind Verline. It's a tough ask from there, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and and I don't think DS Penske have the package either. I mean, we've I think that was proved last weekend in Indonesia. I mean, they were they weren't far off, but they just didn't have the pace to make any kind of challenge for a podium. And why is that though? It's it's, a, it's the same Stellantis powertrain as that's in the uh, in the MSG Maserati. What, what's the difference? Yeah, there? it it is. I I think just going back to the original point over over the tyres and how the tyres were treated you know it is a presumption but it's one I think you know backed up by people's opinions on the ground in Jakarta that that was probably the case with particularly with Gunter I mean Mortaro again got beaten by by Gunter which must be a concern Um, yeah it's happening a lot now isn't it it is it is yeah and and, you know Edo again made a mistake in in um, in the practice running and, and glance the wall. Um, but just going back to DS Penske, they, they just don't have enough. I mean, um, I, I can't, I, I don't even think they can really put their finger on it, but I think it's just a combination of, I think it's just the package. Yeah. I just don't think that they have the consistency in the way that they can activate their package that Jaguar and Porsche have. Um, and uh, yeah, and they're, they're not also rounds, they're capable of podiums and, and victories. I mean, Vern won in, in Hyderabad, but but Van Dorn hasn't even been close to challenging for a victory this season. And you know, I think as great as he was last season, it's it's been a tough one this year. But I think he can have a season like this, especially with a new team. And don't forget a team that is still gelling together the elements of DS and, and the Dragon, the ex Dragon team, the, the Penske organization. So it's still forming to some extent but I just feel as though going back to your point about the title challenges that top four now of Verline, Dennis, Cassidy and Evans I see I see only one a champion coming from those four this season I think De Costa um, who is in six who is oh, he's um, a long he's, he's a long way back that's basically 60 yeah. points I mean 
and, and obviously he's going to be asked to. I mean, he, al- he already was at uh, Jakarta, asked to be a rear gunner for for Verline and help Verline out when he took his late second attack mode. So you know, De Costa's uh, been around the block. He knows what's going to be asked of him in the final five races. So really, if you take Verne out of the equation, which, you know, is a dangerous thing to do because Jeb Absolutely. can surprise. Yeah. But I, I would say Evans, Cassidy, Dennis or Verline, but we'll be, we'll be champion this year, one of those four. So one of those drivers we haven't really mentioned yet, apart from in the intro, and that's Mitch Evans. Uh, rounded the weekend off with a, with a fine podium finish. But Saturday, what could we say? I mean, Sam Bird taking out his teammate yes again and they're they're expensive mistakes aren't they not just in terms of what it means for evan's title challenge but what it means for sam's career Uh, you you can probably explain your way out of one i don't know how you go about explaining your way out of two yeah i i genuinely did a double take at the screen i couldn't believe what i was seeing um and i'm sure james barkley and his team felt exactly the same or much worse i mean it was yeah, it was it was just a, a misjudgment from Sam. He was in intact mode, I believe, at the time. Just cut tagged the back of Mitch. I mean, it was the slightest of touches, but needless and unfathomable, really. Three laps to go. They're in. Uh, they're both in point scoring positions, albeit the, the the lower echelons of the top ten. But still, they they were on for a double point score, and and that's just uh, yeah, like you say, one 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 mea culpa is acceptable. Two, it starts to get difficult, doesn't it? Um, awkward, very awkward. I mean, it comes at a really bad time. So Sam's our contract at the end of the season, isn't he? Yeah, it comes at a really bad time. I did a piece on it a few weeks ago, and um, I think Sam can still stay at Jaguar, but I wouldn't expect anything than a than a one year deal. Probably, uh, I think that's his best case scenario with Jaguar, and he may get something better elsewhere. Let's see. I think it's still it's still under negotiations, but of course, having something like that again is a big, you know, is a big, uh, is a is a tough one, isn't it? It's a tough one to look past that, um, especially as it's so so needless. It just, yeah, lack of concentration or, or just not being careful enough, which is ironic because in in Sao Paulo, Sam, you know, had a had a sniff of a chance of a win and chose valor rather uh, sorry discretion rather than valor and and was really conservative and um yeah really really tough he he, he was in a bad place i'm sure after the weekend oh i really feel for him I mean, I, there's no way he would ever do anything like that intentionally yeah. he's that's just not the way that he, he operates but you know, it's a it's a terrible look isn't it it is and uh, you know i think it's just gonna add a bit more um a bit more pressure on all sides to come up with a, a conclusion as to to what the future is but uh, like i say you know he's still got a chance of a deal albeit a short one um i think and let's see it's all it's all going to play out i think between now and portland so hoping to report back a bit more at portland where where some of the uh, some of the openings might be in in next year's grid well, we'll we'll save the driver merry-go-round stuff, like you say, for a, for a later episode. But one thing that you raised earlier that probably is worth a little bit of a deeper exploration is why attack mode doesn't seem to be working effectively now. Like previously in the in the last generation car, you know, you took your attack mode, you were demonstrably quicker. You'd probably make the the places up, and and it was a a, a tactical tool to be deployed. You know. Uh, 
in, in a way that could genuinely change the result doesn't seem to be having anything like that level of input now what why why is that yeah it's a combination of factors but predominantly it is due to the technical makeup of this gen 3 car so you've got increased power you've got more regeneration of energy but you've got harder and, and less grippier or weather tires and the kind of balance of the way the car is means that in a higher power mode that the drivers just can't effectively get the power down so that means that well, there's two things that means that means inherently you know you, you have no advantage with the extra 50 kilowatts and it obviously affects the the temperature of the tires anyway so it's it's the worst of all worlds and what it's effectively meant is that the attack mode now is neutral it's sort of there is no benefit really to taking it so you it's become a defensive rather than attacking mode a means of racing um you will lose so it's effectively a joker it's a joker lap now you go off you lose a few seconds taking the loops um with no hope of regaining it so then it- this isn't what it was set out to be this was supposed to be you know a, a mario kart or um uh, you know, effectively video gaming it where you, you get your power boost and you, you start flying by people until they get their bit and it really spices up the show so how can they get it back to what it was originally intended to be i i think going back to what i said before one one element that that could help free free things up from a strategic point of view i mean it's not going to help the application physically for the drivers of of being able to gain much on in terms of traction and, and using that extra power but i think freeing it up to give more scope to teams and drivers and strategists how they denominate that eight minutes it was it was four minutes it's now eight minutes or it was for jakarta yeah if they get eight minutes again for portland why not just free it up and say you can do whatever you want with that eight minutes in a given bracket of time during yeah. the race um, i don't see why why that hasn't been seriously thought about or or explored and i think it should be um because w- what that will then do is we'll, we'll put so many offset different strategies throughout the field that there will naturally be um times when you'll be able to use the attack mode to a more attacking benefit than a than a defensive benefit albeit with the same problem of putting putting the traction down you'll just get a greater variety of strategies which will mix mix the order up i am i I suspect that the top four we talked about before will rail against that because it will add in extra gunters or extra uh, mortaras or buemis who are not in the title battle so could muddy the waters for them but i think from a racing perspective and for the health of the championship it is certainly worth seriously exploring and like i said the fia have all their all their simulator um, tools and software to look at that and see how that might pan out but you know it's just a an added um an added lottery element to it which i think could could work pretty well and and keep keep everyone interested in in every dynamic of the race but you need you need that you need your like random performances that that's what always makes formula e great when a you know bohemia or whoever uh suddenly turns up and is there racing at front talking of which when we have these double header races they tend to follow a little bit of a pattern don't they i mean they're, they're never the same one day to the next but it's rare that there's an enormous uh change of performance however race one on the saturday nissan effectively nowhere 
Nato 12, Fenestras 19th, but basically not at the races. Race two, fourth and fifth, right up there. And looking, you know, where, where was the race earlier in the season where they were super competitive? Uh, Cape Town. They were good at yeah, Cape Town. Looking back, back, at their, back at their Cape Town form, what yeah. happened there? <laughs> I, I think, I don't think there's, there's much mysticism about it. I think they just got qualifying right. And, and Jakarta was all about track position or more so than, than recent races. So they qualified well. Um, I think Fenestras was... Um, I'd have to check now. I think Fenestras was sixth or seventh. He certainly got through to the duels. Nato was, was oh, well, there, right, there. In race two, he was seventh on the grid. Okay, yeah. And, yeah. and Nato wasn't far off him. Um, but they built a really interesting race. I mean, they just hit every every strategy uh, target that they had. Uh, they kept it clean. They came through. They got fourth and fifth. Fenestras was heaping loads of pressure on Evans, who, by the mm. way, just going back to Evans, drove I think one of his best races for a long time to hold on to that third it wasn't quite Degrassi at Mexico the miracle no. of Mexico but <laughs> that it was, will go down as the greatest miracle of this yeah, season I think. I think so yeah yeah uh, but the, the, the Evans the Evans third there was absolutely brilliant I was listening to his radio actually and he was you know there was a bit of the harem scarum um volatility that you get with mitch on on radios radio messages yeah please don't stop that mitch it's great entertainment but i think the uh i think yeah just a, an overlooked drive i think that by by mitch evans but um he may well look back at that when he gets to london and uh if he accomplishes his mission his long-held mission to to win the championship i think he will reference that drive when really he shouldn't have finished third there i think the nissans if there'd have been more overtaking opportunities he would have been down in sixth or seventh i'm sure because he even though the package was better that he had from saturday it was still nowhere near the top two and, and probably at that stage the nissans who were as you rightly said terrific on on saturday Get this, their best result, combined result from Nissan, since Berlin 2020, nearly three years ago. Wow. So, yeah, great day for <laughs> great yeah. day for Tommaso Volpe and, uh, and Van Songeado and the team there. So they, uh, they, they deserved a, a few drinks on, on Sunday night. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Some somebody else who probably uh, treated themselves to a few drinks, uh, knowing the knowing the guys at the team were were the App Cooper guys who, um, with Robin Frines finishing ninth and taking a couple of points in that first race, they've they've had an incredibly difficult uh, return to the series. But to see them finally getting a little bit of uh, just desserts for that was really encouraging and, and just genuinely nice to see. 
It was. Yeah, they did a tremendous job on Saturday. Getting ninth position, couple of points for, for Freins. Long overdue. I mean, he's had such a such a soap opera of a season, hasn't he? Started with that really badly broken hand in mm. Mexico, fighting back. The Berlin um the Berlin incident, of course, in, in terms of getting getting that pole position and, and yeah, I mean it's such a waste though in a way, isn't it, to not see Robin Freins in a car capable of, of winning or or being at the sharp end. But I I, I was going to say it will come, but of course they're, they're in Mahindra, so <laughs> that's probably a bit uh, premature of me. Yeah, pro- well, that's probably that a bit be, rude as well. That, well, I don't know about that. The, the next talking point, we, we referenced the, the miracle of Mexico, but the further the season goes on, the more miraculous that result looks. I mean, Mahindra, literally nowhere. I mean, we probably ought to give a shout out to Roberto Mary making his debut, but you really had to be interrogating the timesheets to to know that he was there. They're having a shocking time, aren't they? Yeah, it's 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 a mess. I think to some extent they knew it was going to be difficult, but I don't think they thought it would be this difficult this season. And obviously, it was a very early false dawn in in Mexico when I think they just capitalised on others issues and, and other people you know been out of sorts with the gen 3 car they, they were late anyway and they did look to, to, to give them to give them a bit of credit they, they they had they had problems in development testing like other teams though they lost time with the paucity of battery battery components been available for testing at the front at the front end of the season um but Cape Town was obviously abysmal in terms of getting the cars withdrawn because of that issue. And when you look at the points table, um, yeah, Degrassi's scored those points in Mexico, but hasn't scored since. Hasn't really looked like scoring. You know, Roland's crazy cameos are obviously not going to happen. We're going to miss those when he just goes completely out, uh, out of the zone of the car and just tries to get forward. Well, so what you're talking about him, what what's happened there? What what what's the the situation with Roland? What what do you know what can you say? And are, and are we going to see him again in in Formula e next season? Well, I hope we do. Um but we certainly won't see him at Mahindra again. Um I I I believe that after Monaco there was a um a forthright conversation. I believe is the the polite way to say it between himself <laughs> and Frederick Bertrand, right. the team principal. And um, it was subsequently agreed after a lot of negotiations, I think, that that uh, that there'd be a standing down of, of Oliver. Um, I, I sense, and this is not based on any conversations I had with him, but I just sensed from seeing him and and uh, observing him at races prior to, to, to Jakarta that um, it was clear that it was a bit of a lost hope in terms of anything this season. Um so it was agreed it'd be best to uh, to have somebody else in the seat, and that's what happened. With uh, they initially tried to get um, Deruvala, the the F two driver, um, who's with MP Motorsport in Formula Two at the moment, and has been part of the Mahindra team for for near yeah. on a year now. Um, that couldn't happen because he was racing at Barcelona. So Roberto Mary was in the car, but I think that's kind of an encapsulation of where the team are at, at the minute. Little doesn't appear to be little short-term hope because the car's homologated for next season of course 
Roland, we know, won't be in the car. We presume Lucas Grassi will, will be in the car next season. We think he has a deal there. But he's not got a great deal to look forward to because the cars are homologated. Yes, they can make software upgrades. Yes, they can play with the suspension. Yes, they can do little bits and pieces. But such is the rate of development now with this car, you can make some slight increases in performance, but they will be usurped by everyone else's. And, you know, Mahindra, whatever they may say, just don't have the same resources as a Jaguar, a DS or a a Porsche. So, yeah, the, the best they can do, the best thing they can do is keep working hard, which they obviously are doing, and rebuild for for the second phase of Gen 3, which will kick in at the end of 2024 for the 24-25 season. It's hard to see the chinks of light, isn't it? But they are there, but they're just so bloody distant at the moment. It's um, It must be tough. But the, the job that Fred Bertrand's got on his hands now is just to try and keep the morale of that team up. Because having said all that, it'd be easy to just get into a spiral of doom and oh, and, um, absolutely. and it'll just eat, eat away at the team. So his big biggest job at the minute is a human resources one, I think. Uh, one other debutant uh, at the weekend, David Beckman, who uh, was at Andretti in uh, what was Andre Lotterer's seat. Um, he seemed to perform relatively well, did a good job in qualifying for race one. What did you make of his uh, weekend? Yeah, he... Um... <laughs> I, he didn't set the world on fire, but how many how many drivers do on their debuts, especially part away during the season? That's almost impossible. Yeah, very, very okay. difficult. He did have some preparation at, at Berlin, and he knows the team quite well. He did improve on, on Sunday. He was nearer the pace of Dennis on Sunday. But again, you know, he's up against Jake Dennis, who is now one of the, the higher echelon drivers in the championship. So the best he could do was keep it out the wall, which he, he, he kind of did. He got... He got smoke. You know, he got a welcome to Formula E uh, note from Lucas Degrassi, didn't he, in race two, and, and ended it in the pits with a bent car. Yeah. Um, but I think you know he didn't he didn't shunt the thing. He he did improve as the the pace improved during the weekend. So I, I suspect that elements within Andretti may be expected a bit more. But you know, there there've been worse uh, there've been worse deb- debuts in in the sport, and and I thought he did a solid enough job. Anybody else you want to talk about? Um, Dan Tictum had an interesting race in, in the Sunday. Doesn't um, Dan always have an interesting race? He does. <laughs> he started 20th. And of course, his teammate Sergio Setacamera didn't even make it onto the grid with an issue. But Tictum came through from 20th on the grid and was in line for at least 10th, potentially 9th position to get some points again when his um, his front powertrain suffered a, a, a derating and he, he lost regen and, and had to slow down to conserve energy and, and lost that opportunity of getting the points. I mean, tough, uh, a real tough call, some some fruity radio um, uh, correspondence with his engineer, Mike Henderson. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was, it was pretty vicious, but he was obviously extremely disappointed and rightly so as to that opportunity that, that went missing there. But uh, again, another really strong race from Tigton. So there's been uh, some significant changes off track uh, back in uh, FEH HQ with uh, Jamie Regal departing and Jeff Dodds coming in. I don't know anything about Jeff, so can you fill me in on that and a little bit of background into what's caused this to happen mid-season? Yeah, it caught a lot of people by surprise, actually. So this happened uh, a week or so before Jakarta. Um, Jamie Regal uh, was announced as, as stepping down 
from his role as CEO. He started in the September of 2019, steered Formula E through the troubled waters of the pandemic and, and the aftermath of that and the Valencia energy debacle race and, and all kinds of things there. Um, I've, I've done a piece sort of assessing his uh, his tenure in the role of CEO. Obviously, the, the main fact really that, that underlined it was he was taking over from, you know, one of the most charism- charismatic people in motorsport probably in terms of the founder, co-founder of the championship in Alejandro Agag, which isn't an easy thing to do. Um, uh, no. <laughs> there, was, uh, there was, I think there was good and bad as, as, as there is in everyone's professional uh, lives. Um, but in terms of the, the change, I think it was preordained in some ways. I heard that it sort of stretched back to probably late March, early April, when it felt that a change was, was needed. Uh, and Jeff Dodds, at around the same time, was leaving his position at um, at Virgin Media. So I know little about Jeff Dodds. He was in Jakarta. Um, he introduced himself to the teams and and the drivers and, um, and the executive board there at Formula E. His first day is today, as we speak, on the 5th of June. So he's London-based, um, which is something that Jamie Regal wasn't. So He's uh, Hammersmith-based up in... Up in so that, that Virgin office is about 100 yards from the Formula E one. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So it'd be interesting to see. Uh, we're, we're gonna, you and I are going to meet him in, uh, in Portland, so it'd be good to see what he's about and his visions for uh, the future of Formula E. Again, just going over what we've said ad nauseum, there is so much... There is well, so if he much... was a new football manager, um, Sam, there'd be so what what's in his in-tray? So what 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 are the what are the first items on Jeff Dodd's in-tray? Well, I, I think whether he likes it or not, it will stop be... shipping goals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or our own goals. Uh, no, that's too harsh. There is so much promise with Formula E. There is so much that's great about it in a sporting context, and the obviously all the the great messages it sends out for sustainability. I just I. I I think I sh- I'm, I share the opinion of many in the championship who love it and really want to see it prosper and grow when we say that much more has got to be done to extend its reach in the media and particularly in yeah. television. And I, I hear that it's not being confirmed by, by Formula E, but the, the whisper in the paddock is that there's been a big um, capital injection into possibly expanding the tv and the media of the championship to the tune of of this is what's been told to me but not verified to the tune of 50 million euros for uh the future if that's true then it's fantastic news and gives some momentum to to the new jeff dodds administration which i'm, I'm sure he'll build for for next season uh so he's got multiple things on his intray i think that the one that he he won't want but the one that Alberto Longo will be nailing to his desk is is the calendar which we yeah. by the time we do our next podcast after Portland we should know the provisional calendar for next season but again the words provisional calendar to say how many stars <laughs> is that going to have yeah well let's see I'm hearing well just just to just to sort of tickle everyone's fancy um, the, the 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 prospect of a Tokyo Epre looks pretty good at the moment oh Not, good. Not signed and sealed, but oh. uh, a Tokyo E-Pre for, I think, probably the end of March. Um, one, that, one that's come up on the rails in recent, in recent weeks, uh, but again, not confirmed at all, is the possibility of having a second E-Pre in Spain at Malaga. 
um, which could be good fun at the end of May. I hear there's an end of May slot possibly for, for Malaga if that deal can can happen. Interesting. Um, yeah, and then I think the the rest of the calendar will be very similar to yeah, uh, Hyderabad. To yeah, I, you know, I think there's still question marks over some of these, some of the new ones, Hyderabad and Cape Town. But I think the intention is to have them similar times of of of, of this year that they race this year. I think there there will be some date changes. I I believe Rome will probably go back to an April date, and London might be shifted forward slightly. But uh, I I, uh, I don't know if good. it's good. I think the season goes on too long this year. Yeah, I think they should compact it back again gives us an extra four nights holiday doesn't it at the end of the season but Correct. i think a lot of that probably is to do with the uh the olympics the um the french olympics oh, yeah. which are happening next next july too so let's see yeah. i mean i'm sure there'll be several iterations but very similar to this season with the hopefully the addition of tokyo and possibly uh one in spain too so one race that i don't know whether it was only supposed to be a one-year thing before they find another event is is portland we're both going it's somewhere i've never been before somewhere i've always wanted to go obviously it's got a bit of champ car indie car heritage um what are you expecting well, first off, I think we should take Mark Blundell as a cultural attaché, shouldn't we, after his 1997 race should, should be the law, yeah. <laughs> yeah, come on, Mark. We'll take you. Um, I think it'll be great. I'm really looking forward to it. It's a bit. It's a, a huge step into the unknown. I hear that the track will be very similar. There'll be minor adjustments to the IndyCar. Really? Because it's quite, yeah. quite fast for a Formula E track. Yeah, it's short, but it's quick. Um, I think, you know, they, they probably will... Uh, there's going to be a chicane somewhere isn't there i'm not sure i don't i don't think there will be i think what they'll do is they'll maybe have some temporary wall structures or or um tech pro structures of some kind to make it slightly more enclosed but initially there was talk of a you know a a sector three alteration with some hairpins and things but no i think it's going to be very very similar to to the indycar track and i i think it'll be great i think it'll be a novel a novel um race i just think that you know, why not mix it up a bit and have something slightly different parkland track absolutely um, and of course we'll be we'll be frequenting uh, a lot of the local hostelries just to um just to take them off for, for other people who might be visiting portland as well won't we oh i can't possibly comment but i'd be amazed if we didn't <laughs> uh anything else to add I don't think so. No, I think the only other question looking ahead to Portland is probably who Mahindra are going to have in that seat. Are they going to stick with Mary, uh, or, or I think Darivala is is uh, able to race there? But again, I, you, as far as I know, you're only allowed you're only allowed one change in the car during the season. So uh, I'm sure some force majeure might come in there potentially. Um, other than that, it's just going to be all eyes on that that title quartet and if anyone can infiltrate that title quartet and I think um, as a one-off race at Portland if we have a I'm sure we're going to have a similar cluster at the top of the point standings heading to Rome which again in the heat of yeah, usually it's in April. It's going to be a lot hotter in Rome. Yeah, it's going to be in July. Really hot, I imagine. It is, yeah. and on that track, it's going to be a real spectacle. So yeah, lots to look forward to as the as the uh, the season finale closes in. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for that, Sam. Um, obviously, keep an eye out for all of Sam's latest musings on the hyphenrace.com where you can see all the other stuff breaking from all the championships around the world. And don't forget to check out our other podcasts on Formula One, IndyCar, MotoGP, etc., etc. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back after Portland with our feedback from the uh, various hostelries of the area. So, thank you very much and goodbye. Goodbye.
The Athletic.